Welcome to Cool Explorations, I am your host, Tony Peters. Today we will be taking a look at Ezekiel 37 and how it ties into the Gospels. And this is from uh, the book The Gospel by Mike O'Dowd. And uh, Ezekiel 37. We'll just read part of Ezekiel 37, uh, and it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley, it was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, you know. And he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come up upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And that that is just part of it. We'll get into more of that as we go through this devotion. Mike O'Dowd writes, Abraham and his descendants, God's people Israel, have a very prominent place in God's plan of redemption and restoration. The nation of Israel was created to be a blessing to the nations, but it was also created, as the Lord promised them, to be his treasured possession. Israel would be a nation which would enjoy an everlasting covenant relationship with the Lord uniquely lived out forever in a specific place, the land he promised them, and under a specific authority, the house, throne, and kingdom of David. In other words, this was a promise of everlasting life as a nation of real people to be experienced in a real place as a real kingdom. But the logical problem in all of this is that every one of these real people, even today, fit at least one of the following conditions which seem to contradict the Lord's promise. They're not in the land, they're not under the rule of a descendant of David in the land, and they're dead. It's hard to argue this is a promise being kept, or even a promise which can be kept. Circumstances have to miraculously change, and the Lord has a plan to do just that. So we as Christians, children of God, have the same promise covenant as the nation of Israel, thanks to Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.15 says that the Lord has provided a new covenant for those who choose to follow him. We have an eternal inheritance. Our sins are forgiven thanks to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have the hope of living in God's glory forever, an extension of the covenant made with Israel. In Ezekiel 37.2, after the Lord had placed Ezekiel in a valley full of bones, Ezekiel writes, And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. When Ezekiel says these bones were very dry, He's making the point that these are the bones of people who are very dead, a point reinforced by the Lord's question and Ezekiel's answer in verse 3. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Ezekiel's answer reflected the careful balance between his awareness that this was humanly impossible and the fact that he was standing in the presence of an almighty God for whom all things were are possible. Ezekiel knew that if the bones could live, it was a matter only God knew, and that only God could bring to pass. In verses 4 to 6, the Lord tells Ezekiel to speak his word to these bones, and declare that by his word that they will live. He then explains to Ezekiel the manner in which he will make this happen, a two-stage process. The first stage being that the Lord will resurrect his people in human form. Consider reading verses 7 and 8 out loud to try to get a sense of how startling this was to Ezekiel. So I prophesied 
As I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. This event wasn't a metaphor to be spiritualized. What Ezekiel saw was a full sound and sight experience, as bones rattled and the remains of long dead people meticulously took on human form from the inside out. And just as Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 6 and in chapter 15, this is a resurrection to life, not <clears throat> excuse me, out of thin air or even dust, but of a particular dust, the real remains of real people. But as Ezekiel observes at the end of verse 8, there was no breath in them. A body alone does not a living person make. The Lord will resurrect his people as living souls. In verses 9 and 10, the forms of these people don't come to life until they receive the breath of life. Once again, it is the Lord's word which brings these people to life. There's an interesting play on words in these verses in Hebrew, uh, in the Hebrew word for breath, wind, and spirit are all the same word, pronounced ruach. And the context determines the interpretation. Breath and wind are the meanings in verse 9 and 10. But as verse 14 comes about, we see the Lord is explaining to Israel or to Ezekiel what he just saw. He says, I put my spirit within you and you shall live. The two-stage pattern from form and breath that the Lord follows for raising his people back to life here is also the pattern we see in Genesis 2-7 when God creates Adam and when he was done creating Adam he says man became a living soul as we look at this we can follow a God where nothing is impossible we see that nothing is impossible for our God death could not hold Jesus Christ and God could bring dry bones back to life. Death cannot hold us to the grave. Jesus Christ has set us free. His sacrifice on the cross has bridged the gap for us. We are given the Holy Spirit so that we may live with Christ for all eternity. What better hope is there than this? The miracle God shows Ezekiel here is a miracle brought to pass by the power of God's word and the working of his spirit to raise dead people back to life as whole persons, as living souls. The Lord explains this vision of resurrection to Ezekiel in verses 11 through 14, first by telling Ezekiel the answer to the who question. It is Israel who will be resurrected. In verse 11, these bones are the whole house of Israel. And in verses 12 to 13, this resurrection will be experienced by the people from their own graves where they may be buried. We know this because the Lord tells Ezekiel in verse 12 that after he has resurrected the people, I will bring you into the land of Israel. This leads us to, answer, to the answer of why. Israel will be resurrected in order to bring the Lord's covenant promises to them to pass. Ezekiel is writing to the people of Israel Israel after the last of the nation had been exiled from the land. 
uh, this, this was done by the Lord, and it was a result of their many centuries of disobedient uh, or disobedience to the Lord. Uh, as verse 11 describes, they are a nation that is dead. They have lost all hope of becoming a nation again or of seeing God's covenant promises fulfilled. They're scattered among the nations and separated from one another. And it is in light of this hopeless spiritual condition of a nation that the Lord explains to Ezekiel in verse 14 that he will resurrect his people, give them his spirit so that they can truly live bring them into the land he promised, and they will know him. And as the rest of chapter 37 teaches, this resurrection is a redemption of a nation. God can breathe life into us with just a simple word. His words created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. He has the power to give us resurrection, and he will do so to keep the covenant he has made with Israel through Jesus Christ. This has been extended to us. Even though we are not part of the nation of Israel, that gift is extended to us. The covenant is given to us. It's a promise that the Lord never fails on any of his promises. That is the hope that we have in this passage. In verses 15 to 20, the Lord has Ezekiel take two sticks representing his divided people of Israel, and he has him join them together as one in his hand. Then, in the sight of these people in exile, the Lord commands Ezekiel to explain the meaning of this object lesson, beginning with the fact that the Lord will restore Israel to a nation of unity. In verse 21, the Lord tells his people that he will gather them back into the land of promise, from wherever they have been scattered to. Having gathered them, he says in verse 22, I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all. And they shall be no longer two nations, and no longer divided into two kingdoms. If you remember from your study of the Old Testament, the kingdom of Israel was divided first under the reign of Solomon's son Rehoboam, very soon after Solomon died. It was a division driven by pride, greed, foolishness, and rebellion, something we see in today's society. And in its wake, this division of Israel led to rampant idolatry, particularly in the northern kingdom of Israel. For Israel to experience a sustained restoration to national unity, a spiritual restoration had to accompany it. The Lord has a plan to bring this to pass, and he will restore Israel to a nation, uh, a nation of purity. In verse 23, the Lord declares that he will act to save his people. He will cleanse them from all idolatry and transgressions. And in verse 24, with a resurrected David as king to shepherd them once again, they will walk before the Lord in obedience. As we saw God promise his people, Israel, in Exodus 19.6, they will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And unlike with Israel's past attempts to reflect this high standard in their own strength, the Lord's final work of restoration in unity and purity for Israel will be a lasting work. The Lord's restoration of Israel will be everlasting. The Hebrew word for forever or eternity is pronounced ulam. 
and it is used five times in these verses. In verse 25, it is used to convey the generations of faithful will dwell in the land forever with David as their prince forever. In verses 26 and 28, it is used to convey that they will live in an everlasting covenant relationship with God and his, with his sanctuary in their midst forevermore, forever in the land, forever with David as their prince, and forever in covenant relationship with the Lord, forever with his sanctuary in their midst. This last point is so significant that Ezekiel dedicates the last nine chapters of his book to the Lord's vision of the sanctuary and its construction, complete with how David the prince and his people will dwell forever in relation to it, and how they will come into it to worship the Lord in his very presence. This has very, very prophetic significance uh, to the nation of Israel in its recent restoration as a nation, uh, and the great return of the Jews in the land. But don't mistake what we presently see for the uh, restoration of God's promises. When Christ returns to establish his worldwide kingdom, he will, as he teaches in Matthew 24, 31, send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. When we see the elect remnant of Israel, including those resurrected, gathered into the promised land by the Lord's very evident doing with the resurrected David as prince among them and Jesus Christ the son of God and the son of David seated upon David's everlasting throne within the Lord's sanctuary restored in their midst then as the Lord says in Ezekiel 37:28 the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel until then Israel remains, in a very real sense, in a state of exile. Ezekiel 37 was originally given by the Lord through Ezekiel to a hopeless group of exiles, exiles who had become driven to say, as the New Living Translation puts it in verse 11, we have become old, dry bones, all hope is gone, our nation is finished. If we take a look at this, the Lord will cleanse the nations so that all nations will be washed away, or all divisions will be washed away. Jews and Gentiles can receive this gift provided through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That means everyone who chooses to follow Jesus Christ will live an eternity in God's glory in heaven. This is a great promise. This is a wonderful gift that we are being given. Uh, we just need to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Ask him to lead you today. Ask him to come into your heart, to flood you with the Holy Spirit. Repent of your sins and cast them aside. Cast them on Jesus Christ. He will take those sins and he will wash them away. He'll make you clean. Choose life over death. Let Jesus Christ break your chains and set you free. Ezekiel 37 gives a vivid picture of God's power to transform his people, but it's a work so stunning that it seemingly leaves us with a lack of life experiences to help us grasp it. Romans 
Paul teaches us in this section, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, life-giving resurrection power dwells in each follower of Jesus Christ. In Romans 5, 3-5, Paul teaches that his work of the Holy Spirit um, and resurrection power to transform our character proves itself in our very lives, especially in the midst of our tribulation and struggle. Given the believer giving the believer a hope which does not disappoint. Therefore, as his people, the church, we know there is fresh hope for dry bones because we see it in ourselves and one another. Conversely, we need to refrain from false hope. Ezekiel was a prophet to a people in exile, yet some who heard Ezekiel also saw the partial return from exile God brought to pass under the rule of of the Persians. It was a return which seemed like the restoration of the kingdom of God, which was promised through the prophets, but in truth, reality paled in comparison to the promises. In Ezra 3 verse 12, some of those returnees who were old enough to remember from the former uh, temple wept when they saw the foundation of the temple, the people laid after their return from exile. The Lord had promised through Ezekiel a glorious temple in the restored kingdom, yet the one they were building fell miserably short even of the standard of the previous temple. The Lord begins the work of transforming us in this life, sometimes even in great leaps, but every Christian will struggle with sin and its pitfalls until Christ resurrects us. The transformation we see in ourselves and one another are signposts of coming glory, but we will always retain the capacity in this life to disappoint one another. This is true for your pastor, your spouse, your parents, your mentor, etc., everybody. God alone, who is transforming us by the power of his Holy Spirit into the likeness of his Son, Jesus, is the basis for our hope, which won't disappoint. We need to give one another the grace of not placing one another in that place of fresh and living hope which God alone must hold in our lives. From this, what I want you to take is the hope of knowing that the Lord will never forget you, just like he never forgot about Israel. He never abandoned them, even when they turned their back on him. This should fill you with a hope eternal, and let it bring joy into your life. He has never left you. As a child of God, when we repent, all sins are forgiven. Our slate is wiped clean. When we go home, he will be waiting with the open, loving arms of a father. A father, not an earthly father, but a perfect heavenly father, our Abba Father. Take comfort in his promise. Let God be your identity. Isaiah 49, 8 says, Thus says the Lord, In a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land to apportion 
the desolate heritages. Thank you for listening today as we discussed Ezekiel 37 in relation to God's promise to us that we see fulfilled in the Gospels and we will see fulfilled uh, as Revelation speaks about. And I hope that through today you made a commitment to Christ or recommitted your life to Christ and that you will take out a hope for that eternal salvation, that gift that Jesus Christ has handed us that God gives us an open hand and that you'll fall into the loving arms of our Holy Father today. If you would like to reach me for any reason, you can do so at tpeters745 at gmail.com.